Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. Lou, I understand you have some interesting news for us today coming out of the federal government. What's going on? Uh, I do. I do. Uh, Actually, it came out on Friday, but today is what it is. Uh, The XM Bank uh, was passed by uh, the Senate along with uh, Congress a couple weeks, uh, with uh, the House a couple weeks ago. And it looks like the document is going to go with the transportation bill to the president for signature. And unless he's too busy wrapped up in other things, hopefully he'll sign it. Uh, this will be about time. This, this, yeah, about time is right. Um, they've been at, XM Bank has been basically out of business since June of this summer and uh, has effectively hurt American industry. Um so that's uh, an issue that they're uh, going to be hopefully uh, resolving. Um, also, uh, I think everybody knows about uh, the climate control issue going on in Paris, the COP21. That means it's the 21st time that they have gotten together, and it's only the first time that they've actually generated a document. It's 50 pages. I was reading this morning. But unfortunately, I don't have my law degree, so that was a little difficult for me. Uh, But it it looks like that there's going to be some change coming, and hopefully good change. There's uh, 195 countries involved, uh, up from uh, 65. Uh, Even Russia and China is uh, participating. Um, Maybe not Beijing today, being that Beijing is closed. Uh, It seems as though that they have a, a wild, wild pollution issue today where they shut down schools, factories, businesses, office buildings, transportation, subway systems, everything is shut down. Uh, And I presume those who are walking around are wearing masks. Um, That's uh, that's it for uh, some of the hot spots in the news. I do want to mention last week we did have a show on uh, uh, the tax uh, credit for uh, Section 179 for equipment uh, depreciation, and uh, uh, that was a, a terrific show, and I think that uh, you ought to tune into it and see where you might be able to save some money on your uh, capital investments. Uh, one last point, uh, the ISM came out on the uh, 1st at 48.6 for November. Not a great number but it's not as bad as it looks. You can get that report at mfgtalkradio.com. Read it, download it, print it, cut down another tree, whatever you want to do with it. Uh, Tim? Well, we're going to talk today a little bit more on uh, tax credit. We have uh, Scott Schmidt, who's principal and founder of Blackline Group, and Rachel Bishop, who's director of R&D Tax Credit Services for Blackline Group, and their sole business is helping companies understand and apply for the R&D tax credit. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, and good afternoon. Rachel, we're glad to have you with us. Thank you very much. 
Scott, let me start with you because I think the big question in everybody's mind, and, and I suspect you've run across it, is that people don't apply for the R&D tax credit because they don't think they qualify for it. Who qualifies for it and what qualifies for it? Well, at a high level, any company that's developing and or improving a product and or a process is, you know, conceptually doing R&D. So R&D doesn't just take place in a lab where you have a scientist in a white lab coat. It's really anybody who's developing and or making stuff. So so that that scientist in the lab clearly is uh, is a, a great example of R&D. But uh, companies that make their own products, whether it's the, you know, OEMs, the medical device companies, uh, the automakers, of course, they're all doing R&D. But where there also can be a lot of R&D taking place is in the contract manufacturing or the job shop environment, all the people that are making parts and components uh, for their OEM customers. And, Rachel, what involvement do you have with the clients? Uh, is your uh, role to help them understand how they apply or why they should or that they can? Yeah, so what we do is we look at companies, manufacturing companies, and um, try to help them determine whether or not they have a meaningful benefit. So, you know, if they've got $100 in tax credit, they may not be interested, but if it's 10000 or 100000 they may be a little bit more interested. So our goal is to determine if they have a meaningful benefit. If they do, then what we do is help them calculate that benefit and support that calculation with documentation. So our, our focus is really to make sure they're in compliance with the law and also to ensure that they've got all the support that they would need or a, a good foundational level of support so that if they were to be audited, they'd be in a pretty good position to, to answer the auditor's question. Let me ask a question in regards to that. Uh, when you talk about the specific points uh, to qualify, uh, I know this is a short segment we have today, but can you give us some bullet points as to what items are uh, uh, make you qualified for the R&D tax credit? Is it, is it labor? Is it uh, actually production time? Is it design work? What makes up R&D in that world? Yeah, so R&D is really uh, – the, the the statutes are really broad in regard to what qualifies. The goal is to incent companies to continue to one-up each other, if you will, as opposed to just incenting the revolutionary new-to-the-world type of, of, of stuff. So um, that, that's really the purpose. So the definition, as Scott had mentioned, is quite a bit broader um, for a company to qualify for the credit, they need to be meeting what we call the four-part test. This is per the code. This is what you have to have. Uh, you have to have all four tests for a project to qualify. The first test is the goal. So the goal of the project has to be to either create or improve a product or process. You know, companies might look at functionality, performance, quality, reliability, or cost reduction. Um, those are permitted purpose-type activities. So if a company has that, they're meeting the first test. The second test is technical uncertainty. 
And what this test says is as they're trying to accomplish that goal, they have to have uncertainty in how exactly they're going to get there. So it can't be cut and dry. They've got to have uncertainty in either what the design will look like. It might be what material are they going to use for custom manufacturers. It might be what process are they going to use, what feeds, feeds. All of those different methods or design uncertainties fulfill the technical uncertainty test. And then the third test goes hand-in-hand with that uncertainty test and says, because they have those unknowns, they've got to evaluate the different alternatives. So let's just say material, for example. They they don't know which material, so they try a couple different types, for example. And they might do prototyping, testing. It might just be CAD modeling, simulation. It could even be just trial and error to try to resolve the uncertainties. And then they have to be relying, the fourth test is that they have to be relying on the hard sciences as they're going about those experimentation efforts. So that's engineering sciences, computer sciences, biological sciences, um, any of the physical sciences. So that is a pretty broad definition. A lot of what companies that are in the manufacturing environment are doing probably seem to fall into that. What will not is the repeat orders, the cookie cutter stuff. But if they're developing a new process for a new component or a new product, there's a a fairly good chance that that activity will qualify. And to address your question about cost, primarily it's the wages that are the, the biggest cost driver for the credit. The people that are spending time developing the process testing the process, um, even the ones that are talking with customers about the, the, the specifications for the product or the process, those are the activities um, that can qualify so the wages of the people spending time on those projects can be included. So you'd include a percentage of the wage as it correlates to that percentage of time. There's also a couple of other buckets, the supply costs. Um, and then contract research expenses. So if they're paying a third party to perform a service, um, that could be potentially qualified as well if it's related to the development. Um, So those are really the three primary costs. Well, let me continue the point just for one more moment. Let's say I'm a contract manufacturer. have a fairly large shop. I've got 100, 150 people. And we're doing 1,000 jobs a year. They're all different for all contract jobs, and they're all different, except for maybe 5-10% worth of repeats. Do I have to, is there a way that I have to um, manage the our own auditing of that job a thousand times in order to be safe in case of an audit? Or how, how would we go about doing that? That's a great question, and the answer is that there is liberty given to the documentation that's being that's being included um, or supporting the the research credit. So, you know, ideally, a company would have time tracking. They would um, have support that would account for every hour. Um, but in reality, a lot of companies, the primary people involved with development, a lot of times those people aren't actually tracking their time. So 
we help them to pull together uh, estimations of what their time would be. And if there's an audit, for example, we just have to be able to help them support the reasonableness of those estimates. So nice. there is a record-keeping requirement. There does have to be support. Uh, just for example, if you've got somebody that spends 5% of their time on R&D, you would expect they'd have something showing some evidence of that. You know, a paper trail generally exists already. Uh, but if you've got somebody spending 80% of their time, you would think there'd be quite a bit more documentation supporting that. So um, there's not a strict, uh, specific way that that documentation has to look, but there certainly needs to be some sort of paper trail. The, the rules basically are trying to um, not burden the taxpayers, the manufacturers, with creating new documentation for the credit, but trying to utilize what they already have, what they create in their general business to support the credit. You know, and, another, I, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just, sorry, I'll just add that we talk with a lot of companies and they, you know, they don't, they're not yet using the credit and they say, well, we cannot pursue the credit because we've not been tracking our time. And that's just not the case because most companies today do have technology. They have ERP systems, time tracking, project tracking. So a lot of information does already exist, even if it's not packaged up nice and pretty, you know, as a R&D you know, R&D line item. But the best words that you could give to our listeners is don't be greedy. Oh, absolutely. That That's <laughs> absolutely our approach and our philosophy is, you know, this is a dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction off of your tax liability, and, you know, it, it can be very meaningful money, uh, but you absolutely want to take a solid approach and be able to document your claim. Not everybody in your company is doing R&D, and it is a subjective area of the tax code. Uh, which means you have to be really comfortable with the rules and the definition and the industries that you're working with uh, to, you know, to do a really good job of, you know, claiming and, and supporting the credit. Scott, before we wrap up this segment, we certainly appreciate both you and Rachel being on. Would you share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you folks to pursue this further? Sure. Well, our uh, website is www.blacklinegrp.com, and my email is scott at blacklinegrp.com. And on our website, we, we, we do have a short video, gives an overview of the credit. We also have a very short 10-question assessment that people can take in order to get a, an idea of whether they should continue exploring and getting more information about the opportunity. Well, that's very helpful, and uh, we do appreciate your being on the show. And uh, we'll see if uh, somewhere down the road uh, we'll be back with you and discussing, seeing how things progress in regards to uh, the approval, if it's permanent, not permanent, or what the story is going to be. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for having us. Thanks again. And we're going to uh, move now to uh, two guests who have been with us before. Um, Brad Holcomb, who is committee chair of the ISM, uh, they put, he puts out the manufacturing report on business. And also Tony Nieves, who's committee chair of the non-manufacturing report on business. And these two gentlemen have put together the annual forecast that the Institute of Supply Management puts together and presents each December. And this should be a very insightful uh, document. Brad, welcome to the show. 
Always a pleasure. Uh, great to have time to discuss this in some detail. And Tony, we're glad you're with us because you represent the non-manufacturing portion of this. Yes, thanks for having me on the show again. How do you do, gentlemen? We're doing great, thanks. Great. Well, Brad, uh, why don't we go right into this report because, you know, we've been reading it and there's a lot of information there, but the, the two of you gentlemen put it together so you'll know better how to present what's there than I certainly will just uh, asking a few random questions. So please feel free to start at the top and we'll go from there. Yes, exactly. Thank you. And there is a ton of information uh, for your listeners, uh, and it's all available on our website, um, the Institute for Supply Management dot, dot org. Um, we've got some summary information uh, up front on page one, a lot of details in the various metrics uh, along the way, and a nice summary at, at the end. Uh, plus some commentary and numbers around some special questions that we asked this time around relative to these important issues of w what does the what has the the, the low price of, of oil and related commodities meant to us from a business standpoint and the second question was similar in regard to the high price of the of the dollar as it impacts uh, our businesses. Uh, Brad, excuse so me. Just, excuse me, just yes. Brad, just excuse me for one moment. I did want to mention to our listeners that if they want to follow along with you and the report, that they can get the report on our website at mfgtalkradio.com, and uh, it's right on the uh, home page, and it's on the right-hand side. Just click on it, and you can see the report in its entirety. Sorry to interrupt, Brad. Great. No, no worries. That's great. Um, again, there's a lot of detail here. So from, uh, from a high-level perspective, um, manufacturing uh, feels and projects that we're going to have a, a pretty good year next year with a revenue increase on average across our 18, 18 industries of 4.1%. That's revenue increase of 4.1%. So nice growth. And that compares to... Um, a rather modest 1.4% uh, reported for the whole of the current year 2015. So from 1.4% closing the books this year to 4.1% next year. Um, and along with that, 16 of our manufacturing industries are expecting revenue growth uh, improvement in 2016 over 2015. Uh, so that uh, that really gets us pointed in the right direction. Uh, Tony, Brad, do you want to uh, make some Brad, corresponding comments? Driving, Brad, is there anything driving that uh, that four point one from one point four? Okay, let's let's step back and uh, and continue with manufacturing uh, for a bit. Uh, provide some some perspective on that one point four percent. In 2015, um, I want to recall back the original forecast for 2015 that we put out exactly a year ago was 5.6% uh, revenue increase. And um, I think we all know that the year didn't start off, uh, you know, that strongly. 
and it continued at a relatively low rate uh, above 50 until November uh, for the first time dropped a little bit below 50. Uh, but it didn't live up to that 5.6%, nor did it live up to our April forecast of, of 3.5%. Uh, so the, the forecast and the, and the actual numbers, um, you know, didn't didn't meet expectations. So we're we're coming off a, a rather soft year, and I think it was a year of adjustment adjustment to a couple of things: the low price of the oil, which we'll comment on as we go along here, uh, the high price of the the, the dollar, uh, some you know global. Uh, economic softness, uh, notably in, in China, and, and, and so on. So I think it was a year of adjustment to try and, you know, figure out what all of that meant to to adjust our uh, companies in terms of resources and, and assets accordingly. And, and now they feel, I think, my sense is they feel like they understand the economic environment, and uh, on that basis, are forecasting a, a pretty a pretty good year, not a not a hugely positive year, but a pretty good year of 4.1 percent. Well, I appreciate that, uh, Tony. How does non-manufacturing look? Hello. Yeah, Tony, you there? How does how does the non-manufacturing sector look uh, in terms of what you're projecting for 2016? Well, overall, uh, you know, supply managers are have mostly a positive outlook, and when you look at the categories, uh, specifically in the revenue, um, they were up 2.7% in 2015, and they're looking to rise 3.2% in 2016. And um, across the board, I, you know, what I think is really notable is that capital expenditures uh, are forecasted to increase 7.5% in 2016 uh, versus the 2015, which uh, bodes well in the confidence level of the uh, respective companies that comprise the non-manufacturing sector. Uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, strong capital reinvestment here. Um, when you look at the uh, pricing, and, and uh, pricing has been uh, minimal. It has been no pricing power in this sector. Prices, as it relates to the special question, have kept uh, prices down uh, for this sector as they're very reliant on overland trucking and uh, you know petroleum-based products. So uh, in looking at uh, ahead, uh, they're not forecasting pricing to increase uh, that much as well. It's looking at, uh, um, you know, percent in 15. They're expected to increase 1.5% in 2016. So, again, uh, especially with the price of oil uh, barrel price going down again, once again, uh, we don't see pricing being impacted in many areas outside of um, uh, some food categories and and IV solutions and medical supplies. And okay. Yeah, and Brad, I see that capacity utilization is currently 81.6, and I also want to get Tony's read because he's got it at 87.9 for non-manufacturing. 
Right. And and his includes the mining, which is in uh, is in tough straits. But is that capacity utilization uh, looking fairly strong or or average, or where is it really settling in at? Well, it's it's looking it's looking um, you know pretty pretty good. Um, I always use the the marker of eighty five percent as an effective uh, optimal you know operating capacity. So we're we're pretty close to that. And anything over eighty five percent utilization uh, is is a strain because you need to provide that that additional capacity for planned and unplanned shutdowns and maintenance and 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 so on so at eighty one point six percent we're we're a bit under that uh that capacity marker uh but but really in good shape and it reflects the the capital that we poured into manufacturing this last year of eight point three percent increase over prior year um, as as well as you know taking into account those assets that were taken out and replaced uh, and added at the same time in balance. Okay. And, and Tony, at 87.9%, I guess uh, maybe you can help explain to our listeners or to me, because I'm a little slow, uh, how you measure capacity utilization in non-manufacturing, although you've got uh, the mining industry in there. At 87.9%, that looks pretty strong. Yes, it is, and um, you know this question came up earlier today, and uh, measuring um, outside of um, the the few industries like you mentioned, like mining, it is in the human resources, human capital. It is about um, uh, resources across the enterprise, and you know post uh, you know going from 2007 and even through 2009 post recession. Companies went through major transformations in the service industries, and they were all bent on doing more with less. And we saw the uh, FTE, you know, full-time equivalent uh, headcount, go down across many companies, many industries. Uh, there was hiring freezes put in place and uh, just really uh, a culling of the workforce. And uh, that is why such a great uh, and as Brad mentioned, the 85 benchmark is a good one uh, for non-manufacturing as well. And when you see it coming in uh, as high as it has been uh, the past few years, you know, 87.6 uh, from uh, what was reported in April, or, and I mean December, and then the 86 in April now up to 87.9, which uh, really strong non-manufacturing sector. Uh, let, gonna, let me build. Want, on, let me go back and please. build on that just, just a little bit. Um, you know, the eighty-one point six percent, as as we've discussed, is is below that eighty-five marker, and so there's room for manufacturing to grow in terms of volume and revenue without adding capital. Um, that leads me to then review the capital expenditure forecast for next year which is at uh, only 1%, and, and that uh, is quite different than the 8.3% that we spent in this current year, 2015. So at 1%, it's sort of like uh, let's sort of wait and see how things shake out 
And that's fairly common and usual for capital expenditures for the CFOs to, um, you know, to not open up the purse strings until they see how the year is transpiring. Uh, case in point, again, was 2015 when the earlier forecasts for capital expenditures were were well below 8.3. Um, the, the year was going well enough. Uh, and, and profitability was, was going along well enough that we ended up at 8.3%. So that number and that forecast for 1% is going to be, you know, undoubtedly very dynamic as the year goes along. Okay. Um, now, in terms of, um, and I want to get back to this, uh, Brad, I want to make sure that our audience understands these two special questions because those are very, very insightful when it comes to this report. Um, the first special question that you asked your um, respondents is about the sharply lower prices of oils and related commodities. What's the right. impact as you see it in this report? Yeah. Yeah, so we asked these two special questions, uh, obviously, for for a very good reason. We wanted to do a deep dive uh, from our panel's perspective on, on what these low, low oil prices meant to their organization's profitability, and the same for the U.S. dollar, uh, because in a lot of times uh, over the course of the, of the year, we've heard questions and comments uh, more along the lines of, you know, gee, this is a negative thing, it's uh, bad for business, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we know that that's true for the petroleum and coal products industry per se, and perhaps one or two others. So we wanted to see in balance what this meant. So in the case of uh, the question of oil and related commodities in 2015, as far as how that impacted profits, what we found is that um, nearly 80% felt that uh, lower oil prices were either positive or negligible uh, to their business, and only about 14% uh, a negative impact to their business and about 7% weren't sure. So again, uh, the combination of positive and negative was about 80%. And that really is a is a summation of of the impact with respect uh to, you know, our 18 different industries. Uh the low price impacted favorably uh, for for many of our industries in that it costs less to run our plants, and second, uh, it costs less for our raw materials. And on that point, uh, raw materials and inputs on the manufacturing side came in at 2.6% decrease in prices, uh, overall prices, relative to last year. Uh, so we can even use the word deflationary, and a lot of that is attributable to uh, to oil, as well as our next question, the U.S. dollar. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, I want to go to Tony Nieves on the same question about low oil prices and how that affected the non-manufacturing 
segment of the economy. But let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're speaking with Brad Holcomb, who is the committee chair of the Institute of Supply Management uh, Report on Business for Manufacturing, and Tony Nieves, who is the committee chair of the Institute of Supply Management's uh, Report on Business for Non-Manufacturing. My name's Tim Gurdy. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. And, Tony, just before the break, uh, I wanted to come back to you and ask about the low oil prices and how the respondents are answering your question about the impact of that on the non-manufacturing sector of the economy. What have you uh, learned from your from your report? Tony Adair, are you with us? We have had some... Uh, Slight technical uh, issues uh, with whatever Tony's connection is. So if he's uh, off the air, if Tony, you can call back in and we'll uh, reconnect with you. But let me go to Brad. And, Brad, let's uh, move on to the next section of the report and see where we are in terms of uh, all of the other very important segments uh, that you talk about in the report, uh, for instance, the operating rate uh, and production capacity and those others. Uh, Please kind of lead us through it. Right, right. Let me um, go ahead and cover our second special question uh, while we're on that general subject. And the second question was relative to the strength of the U.S. dollar, which was uh, higher 
than all of the currencies that we that we track uh, our major trading partners mm-hmm. and uh, here again along the way throughout the year we would hear that the high price of the dollar is having you know a negative impact on on business overall so we wanted to 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 test that with our panel and what we found is that's not exactly the case um, about 15% of our respondents were, were unsure, um, but 25% said that the high price of the dollar actually had a positive impact, and about 38% said it was a negligible impact, with only 21% saying that it had a, a negative impact. So on the whole and in balance, it was somewhere between a neutral and a positive impact uh, again, with only 21% indicating that it was that it was negative, so that sheds a little different light on this. And then we ask ourselves, well, how how could this be? Mm-hmm, right. Well, if, you, if 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 you look at the the balance of of exports uh, with respect to the manufacturing report now, uh, exports means exports of finished goods. And, of course, uh, the high price of the dollar makes them more expensive to our overseas customers. On the other hand, we import a lot of raw materials and subassemblies from overseas, and those come in at a lower cost when the dollar is high overseas. So um, we import more than we export is what this is, is trying to tell us, and a confirmation of of this balance is again that our uh, our total cost of raw materials went down 2.6% in 2015 relative to 2014 and so we had uh, that type of deflationary impact um, you know in large measure owing to these two different uh, special question areas lower prices of oil and the high price of the dollar overseas. Okay, thanks, Brad. Uh, Tony, are you connected back with us? You're dialing in from California, I guess. Yes, hi. Can you hear me okay? Oh, now you sound clear as a bell. That's terrific. I yeah, to I could to hear you, you guys, but I had a lot of breakup there, so now it seems pretty clear for me, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you must have been the line going across the San Andreas Fault. <laughs> <laughs> um Tony, I want to go to you on these two special questions that you asked the non-manufacturing uh, segment and uh, let you share with our listeners what you learned from each of those. Well, I'm looking at the uh, special questions similarly to what we, what the respondents uh, said for manufacturing. Uh, it didn't. Ha- it was inconsequential. Yet, uh, you know, and the reason why we put these questions out was because there were many ad hoc comments throughout the year with the monthly report. And as it relates to oil uh, prices and looking at, you know, what is the negative impact, it was 9.3, negligible was 43%, um, and positive was 37.7%, and unsure 9.9%. And 80% felt lowered oil prices did not have a negative impact on their business. But yet certain industries were impacted by lower oil prices. We saw uh, you know, the big uh, oil companies uh, literally shut down all their capital reinvestment due to uh, the lower pricing and lower revenues. 
and um, we see that certain expenses um, were covered elsewhere, meaning that by having reduced costs on fuel, companies diverted uh, spend to other areas within the operation. So maybe overall we didn't see such an increase in margin on the revenue side, but more a diversion of, of, of the expense, so to speak. And in this sector, they're very reliant on on the uh, fuel pricing and, and petroleum-based products. So um, overall, even though it seems inconsequential, um, there, there was some, some sort of impact uh, for the non-manufacturing sector. Okay. And how about the strength of the U.S. dollar? Because I know that uh, that's also been talked about as a big negative. And uh, what did you learn in your report? Well, I, I think more so on the manufacturing side when you're dealing with raw materials and, and tangible goods. On the non-manufacturing side, we see more of uh, services-related type things from information and management of companies, you know, consulting and engagements like that. And there's more latitude in pricing uh, those type of uh, offerings uh, on the international level versus uh, as you're tied to, uh, you know, uh, raw material costs. So overall, the impact, again, was inconsequential for for the non-manufacturing. And we saw that uh, exports, you know, held pretty steady. We had a couple of months through the course of the year of some contraction. But overall, uh, you know, the forecast for exports going forward is going to be that it will grow, uh, albeit slightly less than what we had seen in 2015. Uh, Tony, I'm also curious about capital expenditures in the non-manufacturing segment. Uh, Where would those likely be invested by companies? It it varies by by company and industry, but we see it from automation and technology uh, to uh, might be uh, new vehicles, you know, especially in the wholesale trade area where there is, uh, you know, distribution and and they they have – fleets and things of that nature. So, uh, and whether it be in hotels and restaurants and equipment and furniture fixtures and equipment and things along those lines. Ah, okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I, uh, I, I, we don't uh, talk to you as frequently throughout the year as we do to Brad, who's on our show every month. So I want to make sure that we get a good representation of what's happening in non-manufacturing coming out of this report. Uh, Brad, you've got a, a very extensive report here, and I'm sure we could go on right. for uh, another hour. But you know, pick a couple of areas that you want to get across to our listeners. I know that you and Tony have to jump to, yeah. to other commitments. So, right, right. Let me uh, uh, tie a couple of things together here. Um, we've talked about revenue increases of 4.1 percent. Uh, we've talked about uh, prices only going up a half a percentage point. That's one of the, the, the major uh, things on the cost side, obviously, the cost of raw materials. The second major uh, cost factor has to do with labor and benefits costs. And in manufacturing, uh, we're projecting a 1.7% uh, increase in uh, labor and benefits costs, which is you know, rather modest. And so if you put, if you put all that together, uh, the 4.1% revenue increase and only half a percent for raw materials increase and 1.7% for labor, the other major factor in the cost of goods sold, 
you see the opportunity to increase profit margins by as much as, as 2%, which is healthy for business um, as, uh, you know, profits uh, have the opportunity to improve. So that uh, kind of ties a few things together. And our our, our organizations are, are rather positive from a diffusion index perspective uh, for next year with um, a diffusion index of 62% that profit margins will increase uh, through at least the April 2016 timeframe. Uh, Brad, could you explain to our listeners what the diffusion index is? A, a diffusion index um, puts together the, the responses to most of our questions, for example, um, prices or employment uh, or inventories on a month-to-month -month basis, we ask if um, if the situation was improved, same or worse, or higher, same or lower, along those lines. And we take a measure of 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 those inputs, and we add uh, a half of the the same number, the number for same. Uh, to the number for higher or better, and we come up with a diffusion index, which is a statistical measure of the direction that things are going, okay, overall. And so that, uh, as opposed to providing an absolute number on employment, for example, uh, from month to month, we get a directional measure by way of a diffusion index. Okay, that answered that. I hope that, that helps. I think so. Okay. Uh, Brad, I know now, that, let, me, uh, let me touch on, on employment because oh, good. we're That's always interested in, in, in employment levels. You're reading my mind. Uh, we're at pretty, pretty solid uh, levels of employment this year, I, I think, on both sides, but certainly on manufacturing. And our, our panel is saying that it's going to increase only – 0.2% next year. In other words, pretty much standing pat. At least that's the initial projection going into the year. Um, and so that's that, that that's a, a pretty good thing as well uh, relative to the alternatives. Now, Brent, I see that some 30% of respondents expect employment to be 5.5% higher in 2016. Is that a prediction of them expecting to hire people on? Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And by the strong. same token, yeah, 30% yeah, uh, predict higher in the magnitude on average 5.5%. Uh, on the other hand, there's 18% that predict uh, that it will be lower by uh, minus 7.9%, and then 52% say that it's going to be the same, and the net net of all of that is a plus 0.2%, or basically even or standing pat with the employment levels that we currently have going into the end of the year. And Tony, you're showing something a bit stronger in employment. Is that right? Uh, yes, we are, but it's just a slight uh, improvement um, year over year when you look at it, uh, you know, because with employment, uh, 
the expected increase is 1.7% for 2016, which is up from the 0.7% that was uh, reported in December uh, for December. So uh, it's just a slight increase. And, and um, you know, non-manufacturing, again, it goes back to uh, what we talked about earlier with the uh, uh, capacity and, and, and the operating rate being at 876 uh, really uh, holding close to the vest as they bring on uh, full-time equivalents, and it's all contingent upon how business levels are, and it's, it's, a, it's a moving target. It's a variable, uh, controllable expense uh, for, for the uh, non-manufacturing companies. Okay, okay. Um, I'm always curious about exports and imports, Brad, for manufacturing. What does that look like right. for 2016? Right. Um, and and uh, in the case of imports and exports, we do boil this all down to a diffusion index uh, in terms of our forecast. And in the case of, um, of uh, export business for the first half of 2016, uh, we have a diffusion index of 63.2, which is positive. In other words, they're expecting growth in exports for the first half of the year. And as your listeners know, on the manufacturing side, exports have been uh, down for, for several months in a row, below 50. So this will be uh, a turnaround from that if these predictions uh, hold true. Um, now let me compare that with the prediction for 2015 uh, that was made at, uh, at this same time a year ago. It was 72.6. Our current diffusion index is 63.2, not quite as positive, but nevertheless um, uh, uh, positive uh, from a prediction standpoint. So that's the export story. Um, the imports also were predicting for the first half of 2016 a uh, positive increase, and our diffusion index is 59.2. The diffusion index a year ago was 66.1, so not quite as positive, but nevertheless nicely positive at 59.2. And, Brad, is there a correlation uh, between this report and projected GDP for 2016? Uh, actually, no. That question comes up uh, a lot. We do have a correlation to GDP with respect to our monthly reports and our PMI uh, specifically, but in that we don't boil this forecast down to a, a PMI-like index, but mm -hmm. rather we talk about other measures like revenue and profit margins and so on. Uh, we don't have the ability to 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 forecast on a uh, that same you know 50. Plus is, is, but uh, with 4.1 percent increase in revenues, that essentially says we're looking forward to above 50 as we go forward. Okay, well that's certainly certainly very encouraging for everyone listening to the show. Um, how about uh, export business, Tony, for the non-manufacturing segment? Does that look uh, good for 2016? It does. Um, they're showing that it will grow. Uh, albeit, albeit a slightly less uh, rate of growth um, when you look at it year over year. 
uh, what the first half they predicted in uh, uh, for 2015, which was predicted in December, was a 66% uh, diffusion index. And for the first half of 2016, they're predicting 61.6%. And exports, again, as I was talking about earlier for non-manufacturing, is more in the um, information uh, management of companies. It's it's more about services than than actual goods, um, which makes up the majority for for the for the uh, non-manufacturing sector. Okay, okay. And how about for imports? Uh, again, that looks to be fairly strong and consistent with last year. Uh, what does your report uh, share with us on that? Well, we're looking at uh, the fusion index uh, of 67.6 previously, now to 67.8. So it's up ever so slightly. Um, The the strength of the dollar does make it a little more favorable on the import side as as much as our respondents are saying it wasn't that impactful. uh, There is definitely uh, more imports than exports uh, for this particular sector. Okay. Um, Brad, I know the other area that's uh, particularly uh, important to touch on is uh, business revenues and, and profit margins. Uh, why don't you share with us uh, as we approach the top of the hour here, and I, I know you and Tony have got the tough schedules that you've got to reach other commitments. If you could give us a summary on that. Uh, we do, but no more important outlet than manufacturing talk radio because we get to talk in, in detail. So from a uh, manufacturing revenue perspective, uh, we're looking at a 4.1% uh, increase. And in terms of profit margins, um, we, we, we have a question which addresses uh, from November 2015 through April of 2016, so the next six months or so, and our diffusion index for an improvement in profit margins is 62%, which is better than the 55% uh, answer from a year ago. So more bullish on the profit margin uh, uh, opportunity and improvement in uh, the next six months or so. Well, that's encouraging. Tony, how does it read for non-manufacturing? Well, when you look at uh, revenues and, and profit margin, revenues for non-manufacturing, um, again, are going. they went up 2.7% in 2015, and we're looking at a rise uh, to 3.2% in 2016. And as it correlates to uh, profit margins uh, from April 2015 to what was reported for this month, it was a 60.5 diffusion index. And uh, that compares to the uh, 60% that was uh, predicted uh, uh, from uh, December. That's actually predicted going forward to um, April 2016. So it's just slightly off a little bit, not much. Okay. Okay. And Brad, uh, quick as a wrap-up, what does the second half of 2016 look like uh, compared to the first half of 2016? Yes, uh, our final question uh, really to our panelists is on an overall perspective, you know, how do you feel about the first half of 2016 uh, and then the uh, relative to to the last half of 2015 and then the second half of 2016 versus the first half? And what our respondents have said is that 
uh, on manufacturing side, the, the diffusion index is 62%. So we feel that the first half of 2016 is going to be, you know, nicely better than uh, the, the, the last half of 2015. And, and again, that 62%. Uh, for the second half, it goes up to 67%. So somewhat above and reflecting that they feel the second half 2016 will be that much better than the first half of 2016. And then the noun manufacturing side, Tony, is it equally strong for 2016? Well, for 2016, it it's, uh, looks a little bit better. Um, but again, um, when you look at the first half versus the second half, it's almost split evenly with just a you know, half a percentage point difference on the diffusion index. So uh, overall, you know, the business outlook uh, for for non-manufacturing is um, you know slightly slightly less um, year over year when you look at the two different diffusion indexes. Uh, Seventy-one point five was the outlook uh, predicted uh, back in December of last year for this year, and now they're saying that the index will be projected to be the fusion index sixty-seven percent uh, going forward. Well, Tony, thank you for being with us, and Brad, we appreciate you being on the show to present this uh, report. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Thank you very My much. My pleasure, and happy holidays to everyone. Thank you, and the same to you. We want to remind our listeners that if you want to take a look at this report, please go to manufacturingtalkradio.com. You'll find a link to the report. You can also go to the Institute for Supply Management.org. That's for all of the reports that the Institute puts out are available, including the uh, the uh, report on business that comes out on a monthly basis and this uh, ISM semi-annual economic forecast for December 2015. We encourage you to go through it in great detail. There's a ton of information here, more than we could touch on in this show if we extended it another hour. We certainly appreciate uh, Brad and Tony, who are the committee chairs, for putting this together. And we'd like to encourage our listeners to go to mfgtalkradio.com to listen to any of our shows. They're all stored there as podcasts. Just uh, uh, search them out, and we look forward to speaking with you again next week. But that wraps us up today for Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.